in order to prepare for her wedding day, a bride will often go to extensive lengths, taking on lots of physical and mental suffering because she wants that day to be perfect. She loves her groom and she wants everything to be uh, as immaculate as possible, as it possibly can be. For you and me, we are right now in the season of Advent, this time when we reflect upon the day when we, as the church, are getting ready to be presented to the Lord, the second coming of Christ, when we, the church, as the bride, will be presented to him as this pure and spotless gift. And so the church gives to us the preaching, especially during this time of the year, of John the Baptist, so that we can make straight the ways of the Lord, we can get things as perfect as they possibly can be. However, getting to that state of perfection is not easy. It's hard. It's difficult. It's painful. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about today. One of the most helpful teachings, doctrines of the church, when it comes to this preparation, uh, this process of purification and of holiness, is the doctrine of purgatory. So the church teaches that those who die in the state of grace, if a person who dies in the state of grace but has not yet been perfectly purified, goes through this time of purification or purgation before entering heaven. So since we're in Advent... This is a meditation on the last things. So I'd like to share about you about this beneficial understanding of this doctrine of, of purgation, of purgatory. So to do this, I'd like to paint for you uh, to recall an account that I think helps a person to understand the purgatory and this purification that takes place. Uh, I could have just chosen lots of different ones. This is a, a more toned down version, a toned down story although it's one of the milder accounts of purgatory, although you uh, may find it shocking, terrifying maybe, even unbelievable. However, I think it helps to lay the groundwork of this teaching of the church. I think it'll be helpful if you're able to hear what I have to say. In 1598, the Lord allowed a soul that was aflame with the fires of purgatory to appear to a Dominican religious brother, the Venerable Stanislas Jokosko, while he was praying. She asked him for his help to alleviate the intolerable sufferings which the fire of divine justice had caused her to endure. And he asked her, he says, you know, is this fire that you're experiencing more painful than that of earth? Ah, she cried, All the fires of earth, compared to that of purgatory, are like a refreshing breeze. Now, Stanislaus, he had difficulty believing her, and so he asked her for proof. He said, if God permits, and for your relief and for the good of my soul, I consent to suffer part of your pains. And she said, you know, there's no way that you could endure and live. However, God's will allow you to a light degree. Stretch forth your hand. He did. And so she let fall what looked like, resembled 
a tiny little droplet of sweat. At that instant, the religious brother let forth a piercing cry, and he fell fainting to the ground. So frightfully intense was the pain. Other religious brothers ran to help him, and when he regained consciousness, he told them of this terrible event, that the Lord allowed this soul from purgatory to appear to him, and, they sh- and he showed them his visible proof. He said to them, My dear fathers, if we knew the severity of the divine chastisements, we should never commit sin, nor cease to do penance in this life in order to avoid expiation in the next. He was confined to his bed from that moment on. He lived for one more year of suffering most cruelly from his terrible wound, and then he slept peacefully in the Lord. Now, you're not required to believe this story, this account. It's known as... um, what's called private revelation. However, I think that it illustrates well what has been taught by many saints and doctors of the church. St. Augustine, St. Gregory, the Venerable Bede, St. Anselm, St. Bernard, and others all taught that the torments of purgatory will be more intolerable than the most excruciating sufferings of this world. St. Thomas Aquinas went even further. He said that the least pain of purgatory surpasses all the sufferings of this life. Now, this story only illustrates the physical pain of purgatory, uh, which is considered the secondary pain of purgatory, the lesser of the pains of purgatory. The greater pain is what is called the pain of loss. Um, The fathers of the church taught that it's the pain of loss, that pain of not yet being in heaven, not yet being with our Lord, that's the greater pain. However, the physical pains are a little easier to describe, you know, and so that's often illustrated, especially in Scripture, in other places with fire. You can read about this and this purification that takes place for those who've died in the faith, died as Christians, like Paul talked about it in 1 Corinthians 3. Uh, These flames, St. Bellarmine, he wrote that almost all theologians teach that the reprobate, meaning the damned in hell, and the souls in purgatory, suffer the same fire. Though in purgatory, some suffer more and some less in proportion to the nature and gravity and number of sins committed. St. Magdalene uh, de Pazzi described the vision of given to her by God of the soul of her brother who had lived a, a most devout and fervent Christian life. Nevertheless, he was detained in suffering for a few faults. He had a few bad habits, which he had not taken care of while on this earth. Her brother described his suffering as intolerable, but he endured it with joy. So, although these are private revelations, they're supported by the church's most venerable teachers of the faith. So, you are perhaps sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, what? That is purgatory? That's nothing at all like what I imagined. That's horrible. Why would God do that to a person? Why would an all-loving, merciful God do that, allow that for one of his children? Isn't that why Jesus died on the cross? You know, take away that kind of suffering. You know, purgation doesn't make sense. I don't believe it. 
Well, let's start with the basics, okay? So did our Lord Jesus, when he died on the cross, take away all the sufferings as a result of sin? Well, you know and I know that there's lots of suffering as a result of sin still in the world. He took away the eternal consequences of sin, right? So when you sin against God, it separates you from him for eternity. But Christ died to remove the eternal consequences of sin. However, he didn't take away the temporary consequences of sin. They're still here. They're still all around us. There's lots of examples of this in Scripture. For example, uh, David, when he committed adultery, then he killed the husband of the woman he slept with. Um, God sent the prophet Nathan and said to him, you are forgiven. However, you're going to be you have to suffer punishments for what you've done for the rest of your life. And he listed the punishments. Or you think about the same thing with Adam and Eve. They were clothed by God, the symbol of sonship, of being daughters, of forgiveness, after their sin. Yet they were still required to suffer the consequences, the temporary consequences of their sins, um, which we also suffer from those things, original sin. So Christ did not take away the temporary consequences of sin. Every sin has not only eternal, but temporary consequences. And if you don't work out, that is, if you don't expiate the temporary consequences of your sin here now, God, in his loving and merciful justice, allows you to do so in the afterlife. As we heard about in um, you know, the second reading today, that the Philippians, St. Paul wrote, he says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. However, it's very difficult to take care of uh, these things in purgatory. Painful there. It's much easier here. Jesus taught in Matthew 5, he says, work out with your accuser while you're on the way to court. Because if you don't, your accuser will hand you over to the judge, the judge will hand you over to the prison, and you won't get out until you've paid the last penny. Our Lord is saying, work things out now and here before you go before the great judge. Because if you don't, it's much harder later. Much more difficult. And you won't get out until you've paid the last penny. You know, uh, it's much easier to expiate temporary punishments in here and now. Why? Well, here and now, we have all these incredible gifts. We have the sacraments and the sacramentals. And we have prayers and alms and good works and the saints and indulgences and on and on and on. You don't have any of those things those things in purgatory. That's why the writers of Scripture wrote again and again the importance of embracing suffering, of embracing difficulty, of um, being open and saying yes to the discipline of the Lord, of taking up your cross here and now and becoming like Christ. It's much harder to do all of that in purgatory, much more difficult. And of course, ultimately, the biggest reason, I think, why some people have difficulties accepting the truth of these extreme uh, excruciating purifications in purgatory is because they don't really understand the heights of the holiness of God, the perfection of God, really the extent of the love of God, the love that he has for you and for me, the perfect, the perfection and the dignity that he calls you and I to, you were made for. Uh, St. Catherine once had this vision given her by the Lord where, our, where God said to her, he says, if you could see a soul up here with me in heaven, uh, it would be so beautiful, so perfect, it's so amazing 
that you would want to bow down and worship it. That's the perfection that you're called to. That's the dignity that you are called to. St. Francis de Sales says that uh, if the souls in purgatory um, had heaven opened to them, um, they would rather throw themselves into hell than to present themselves to God um, still with their stains and and disfigurements that hadn't yet been fully purified. Um, They love the Lord so much that they happily, joyfully endure this purification so they can be presented pure and perfected to God. So does purgatory make sense? Yes. But only if you understand that Christ's loving sacrifice on the cross takes away the eternal consequences of sin. That leaves you for the working out of the temporary consequences. So you have a means of following him, of taking up your cross, of dealing with your issues, sacrificing yourself, of growing in in that perfection of love. So we urge you to do this in this life that's much more difficult in the next. You know, all this takes place because of his perfect love for you and his desire for you to take um, part in the perfectly purified love, the divine love, the love that is God. So the temptation, perhaps, at this point is, after learning about purgatory, to think to yourself, you know, I'm a terrible sinner. And now I've learned, even though I've got my sins forgiven, gone to confession, you know, uh, I still have to suffer these pains of purgatory and purgation, and, th- and there's nothing really much I can do about it. You know, why even bother? Do not give in to this temptation. Realize instead that the dogma of purgatory is a grace. It's a great gift. It's designed to light a fire under you. It's designed to move you to action and not despair. And so I'd encourage you to do two things, okay? First thing, step one, remove the cause of purgatory. Why do you send to purgatory? It's to make satisfaction for the temporary consequences of your sin. So the solution is easy. Well, maybe not quite easy is the right word, but to remove the cause. That means to stop sinning. You know, through frequent confession and Holy Communion, you can easily begin to abstain from mortal sins, from the worst sins, the sins that separate you from God. If you were to die in that state, you'd be damned for eternity. But through frequent confession and Holy Communion, you can, you can begin getting rid of those. Those are the sins that you knowingly and deliberately do, okay? So work on getting rid of those first. That's not too hard. Once you get those in the way, you can begin working on the other ones, on the venial sins, you know, the less, some of these lesser ones. Uh, you know, avoiding deliberate um, sins or, or, or grave venial sins, but they're not quite mortal, not that serious. You know, you're maybe not deliberately doing these things. Maybe it's an addiction or something else, bad habits. So don't give up. Put your trust in the Lord. Put your trust in his hope and his mercy and work on your sin problem. Remove the cause of being sent to purgatory. That's step one. That's where you begin. And then step two, embrace penance and suffering. You know, satisfy the temporary consequences of your sin here and now. So what St. Therese of Lisieux taught, she said to do lots of little penances, prayers and fasting, almsgiving, sharing the faith with others, 
showing forth humble and cheerful and complete obedience to your priest, your bishop, your employer, your government officials, your parents, if you're a minor. No bearing sufferings and inconveniences and ill treatments done by yourself, by others. With patience, embrace little penances as a means of making satisfaction for your sins. That's step two. So don't give up. Don't give in to the temptation of feeling down about the doctrine of purgatory. Instead, accept this as a gift, a grace, to light a fire under you, to move you to action, and to first remove the cause, begin tackling your sin problem, take it seriously, and then second, embrace suffering uh, as a means to expiate, to work through these things with joy. The doctrine of purgatory is a gift. Purgatory is physically even more so mentally painful. Yet those who go through purgatory do so with great joy and hope and love of being united with the Lord that they fully love. They're excited about being united with him. Our Lord Jesus Christ died to remove the eternal consequences of your sin, but he allows you to work through the temporary consequences. So now is the time for action. To work with him, with his grace, to decrease and eventually eliminate your sins to embrace suffering, to be purified here in this life so you can avoid purgation in the next. It's time to hear the preaching of John the Baptist. Prepare the way of the Lord. Prepare for that day that he's coming. This is Advent. It's time to get ready. To strive for perfection, to get ready for that wedding, for the coming of the Lord for the one that you love. Amen.